Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Active Growth Podcast. Today we're revisiting one of my favorite topics and what I think is one of the most important topics that every entrepreneur should put at the top of their list, which is skill acquisition and skill building. So we're talking about what exactly can you do to identify the kinds of skills you need to overcome the challenges that you will face as an entrepreneur. And we'll talk about specifically a method called deliberate practice, which is a lame name, but we'll get to that. But we'll talk about this method and how you can apply that as an entrepreneur and also the limitations and the, the special challenges when it comes to skill building that you face as an entrepreneur that many people in other fields, professionals in other fields, do not face the same challenges. So, so this is a tailor-made how to build skills as an entrepreneur specifically episode for you. Today, as a special guest, I'm happy to have Paul McCarthy on the podcast. He is my business partner, the co-founder of Thrive Themes, and I invited him specifically to talk about this topic because it's something that he has researched very intensely over the last couple of years and also has practiced in his own life and with a team that he built up. Like he's, he's got a lot of practical knowledge and application of this topic as well. And as you'll see, there's a lot that he can bring to the table in this discussion. So without further ado, let me just mention that as always, you can get show notes for everything we talk about. You can go to activegrowth.com forward slash 32 to get the show notes and links and so on for this episode. And you can also leave a voice message there, leave a comment there and get a discussion started. So with that, let's get into the episode. So on the Active Growth Podcast, we talk about skills a lot and today we're going to talk about skill development a specific way of developing skills and the, the reason we have this focus is that what i see in a lot of material on entrepreneurship and online marketing there's always this focus on tactics there's always this focus on on things to do right what are the right moves to make in order to build a successful business and i think that in reality in many cases that's the wrong question to ask because Quite simply, if you give all the right instructions, all the right moves to make all the tactics to the wrong kind of person, then it's all useless, right? The wrong kind of person will not be able to make anything of all that. Uh, whereas a strong entrepreneurial person, someone with strong work ethic, someone with grit, someone who you know, is kind of the archetypal entrepreneur, even without any instructions or even with a set of wrong instructions, they will make it work somehow. And so I think the focus has to be much more on how do we become that kind of person and not as much on what are the exact moves to make, what is the recipe. So today I want to talk about specifically deliberate practice. And we have on the podcast for the first time since a long time, we've got Paul McCarthy on the podcast. So for those who don't know Paul yet, he has basically been my right-hand man for a very long time. He is the co-founder of Thrive Themes and he's been involved in, in basically everything that I've done on the active growth side and also on the Thrive Themes side for, for a long time, but he tends to operate behind the scenes. So here's one of the rare occasions where we get him in front of a microphone. So let's start, Paul, can you, you've done a lot of work on this and you've done a lot of research on this. Can you give like a summary of what is deliberate practice. When I say deliberate practice, what does that mean? Well, I guess the simplest way you could describe deliberate practice is it's the best known method of getting good at something in the fastest possible time. 
So it describes a way of practicing a skill so that you can learn that skill really, really, really quickly. And it's a set of principles that you can pretty much apply to anything that you're learning. So it operates above the level of the skill that you're trying to learn. And so there's quite a few components of deliberate practice. First, let me just give some background about this. So I learned about this, or I came across this, this method of practicing things by reading a book called Peak by Anders Ericsson, who did, I think, a 30-year study on why prodigies became prodigies. So he looked at the, the backgrounds and the histories of various high performers. And these are like extreme high performers, you know, the top 1%, the world-class performers, so to speak. So he looked at musicians, he looked at athletes, he looked at people who are just clearly outliers in their fields to see what kind of things they did to get into that position. And the one thing that stood out is that they all did deliberate practice. Now, I think one thing we should add here is that deliberate practice, I think it's very poorly named because when you hear a deliberate practice, you're like, yeah, I've done that. I've deliberately practiced something in my life. So I think it's actually, it's just, you have to think of it as just a very poorly chosen brand name because when Anders Ericsson talks about deliberate practice, he doesn't actually mean just, okay, I'm sitting down to practice this thing. He means a very specific way of practicing and yeah, it's just it's just poorly named. Yeah, I think I think you're right when you say that. It definitely has a bit of a branding problem because there's there's many different ways you can practice something, and practicing isn't anything new to any of us. We've all practiced things in the past, but probably what we haven't realized or what we haven't been taught when we were young is that certain types of practice are pretty much useless. For instance, if you sit in front of a piano and you're trying to improve your piano skills, but yet you're playing the same old song over and over and over again. At that point, you're already operating within the level of your ability. And it becomes pretty much automatic to play this song. Your hands are basically operating automatically. It's, it's not difficult for you. Any, any time where you practice a skill and you're operating like this, where it's, it's automatic, it's not challenging, it's pretty much a waste of time in terms of skill acquisition. You're not making any improvements there. So can we break it down? Like what, what makes deliberate practice? Like what are the aspects that would make, you know, real deliberate practice, deliberate practice? And then we'll start talking about, you know, how to apply this for entrepreneurial skills. Yeah. Okay. So I think there are a few key components. I think the first is you want to try and break down your skill into kind of sub skills or different parts of that skill. Let me use golf as an example, right? Let's say you want to improve your golf game. Well, there are various different types of shots that you need to improve your golf game. You have to drive off the tee, you have to play short pitch shots, you have to learn to putt, you have to learn to play out of the bunker. All of these skills are kind of sub-skills to golf. And I think that's the first important part of deliberate practice is that you want to try and break down this skill into the smallest sub-skills that you can practice. So to continue the example, a golfer would perhaps go to the, the golf range and hit 100 shots off the tee. That's a specific skill that's required in golf. And to take this into like a business context or to a more professional context in terms of building a business or doing some work or learning some new skill. Imagine that you're a writer or imagine that you want to improve your writing. One way of doing this would be to break down an article into its different sections. So you have, for instance, a title, you have a lead in, 
you have the main body or the main content of your message and then maybe you have a closing statement or a final conclusion. Each of these, writing each of these parts of an article are skills in and of themselves which are then brought together to form this bigger skill of being able to write well. I think one of the, the things that's important to mention here is that, or I think one of the reasons this is important, this breaking down is important is because with both examples, we can, we can basically see this, right? If you're, if you're a golfer, then there might be something that's quite important to your overall game, but that in the course of just playing a round of golf, you won't encounter that often. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned is like playing out of the bunker, right? Now, this might not happen at all during a whole course of a game. It would happen quite rarely. But the problem is if you, if you just play golf, this happens so rarely that you'll never really get good at it. You, you won't right. get enough repetition, right? And so that when it happens, you'll basically be lost because maybe you have gotten a decent amount of practice putting through the course of playing games, but you've just not had enough playing out of the bunker, right? And so that's one of the reasons why we want to break these things down because just in the, in the natural course of doing a thing, it just doesn't happen often enough. Now, with writing, it's a similar thing. We've talked about this before in a couple of episodes about copywriting. One of the things is, you know, your headline is incredibly important, makes a huge difference to whether people start reading your thing at all, whether they click on, on a link to a blog post at all, right? And when you're just writing, basically in the natural process of writing articles, you will only encounter that skill and practice that skill once per article, right? because every article has one headline. And this is why we've talked about you know, the importance of writing many headlines for every article or even taking some time just writing headlines and doing nothing else. You're just practicing that one skill because you realize that the importance of this skill is disproportionate to how often I normally do it. So I need to practice this more. And another one, you know, we'll, and we'll link to all these relevant episodes in the show notes, but another one I've talked about, the bento box thinking method, which also is it's one aspect of creating content, which we can separate out and practice specifically. And it applies to writing, it applies to creating video content or whatever, but we're, we're pulling out this one aspect because we're looking at it and saying, hey, this is, this is disproportionately important. And I wanna make sure that I deliberately practice this component. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you made there because one of the key components to learning a skill really, really fast is you need to get your reps in. So have very quick fire repetition. We're actually doing this with a new member of our team and she's trying to improve her writing. And what she's been doing recently is every single day she'll come up with headlines for an article and then she'll get feedback on it. And then the next day she'll try and improve what she wrote the day before. That rapid quick fire succession on a daily basis, she's writing five, 10 different headlines on a daily basis that's far more intense, that's happening far more often than it would otherwise happen if she was just writing articles on an ad hoc basis. And then what happens is when you practice each of these sub skills and you practice them with high frequency, they eventually come together to produce this whole skill of writing that is far in excess of what it would otherwise be if this person was just writing yeah, and the next component here is also is feedback, right? Because that's another component of what makes deliberate practice difference from just practicing um, is that ideally you get rapid and direct feedback 
from an expert on what you're doing. And this can be quite tricky, but it's incredibly important, right? You have to have outside eyes, someone who knows what they're doing, who can give you some feedback on, on what can you do better here. And as an example, on the Thrive Themes team, we have this review process, which is just part of what we do. Basically, nobody publishes anything without getting review from someone else first. We just give them some insight on how could this be done better. And yeah, I think this is very important, but it's also, this is one of the difficult things for, you know, for your solopreneur, digital nomad type. This is quite difficult to find someone or to have someone to have some kind of a system where you can actually get feedback on what you're doing. And you're not just kind of, you know, working away in your own little cave, in your own little bubble, because then again, you can, you can basically just be spinning your wheels. Even if you're practicing a lot, you can just kind of be deepening the grooves of all the mistakes you're making. Yeah, feedback is a critical component to this, like you said. And in certain disciplines, there's lots of world-class knowledge available. You can find teachers, let's say, going back to our golf example, there are plenty, plenty of expert golfers out there that would be happy to tell you why you're slicing the ball off the tee or hooking it into the trees. But in other disciplines, it's somewhat harder. For instance, um, in one of our teams, we're having our members do touch typing deliberate practice so that they can they can type faster. Now here is a discipline where you don't really have much in terms of knowledge available on how to type faster. You have typing technique, but not, not speed typing information and teachers out there that you can use. So it becomes a little bit tricky. But in that case, rather than having feedback from an expert teacher or coach or world-class coach would be ideal, you use the score that you get while you're touch typing. So you have that feedback of, okay, I just typed at 75 words per minute or 80 words per minute. And in certain instances, scores like that can also also be used as your feedback loop. Yeah, I think that's also something that applies quite well to a marketing context, at least in, in certain areas. So for example, if you are writing ad copy, you can, you basically have a built-in feedback loop, right? If you're publishing you know, Facebook ads or AdWords ads or something, you have these stats about your click-through rate and conversion rate and so on. That's really the most important feedback. Now, it's not a higher level feedback, right? An expert could still tell you, well, here's why, you know, your click-through rate was horrible on this ad, but good on that one. But even in absence of that, it gives you, you get some real world feedback. And it also has, it can have this aspect of fairly rapid feedback. I mean, you write, you write a set of ads you publish them and fairly quickly you see which ones rise to the top. And that's something where you should definitely look out for opportunities. You know, where can I get this feedback either from people or from some kind of a system so that, yeah, again, that you're not just kind of working away by yourself without any feedback loop going on. Yeah. And just to highlight a point you just mentioned there, it's really important that the feedback is fast. It's no good, for instance, practicing and then a week or two later getting feedback you really want to have a fast feedback loop so that you really get your reps in rapidly. So you can do training session after training session in a short space period of time. That will enable you to, to grow your skills as fast as possible. So deliberate practice, the components are, we need to be uh, taking a skill apart into its subcomponents. We need to be practicing frequently with frequent feedback. And you, you kind of hinted at this, we need to be practicing at the edge of our ability, right? We need to make sure that the task we're doing is challenging so that we have to kind of bring our best to keep up, but also not too challenging. There's no point in 
repeatedly practicing something that is too easy for you. There's no point in repeatedly practicing something that's just too hard and overwhelming and frustrating either. And I think here, actually, you know, the, the exercise analogy is perfect, right? If you go to the gym and you lift some weights that are so light for you that you can just, you know, rep them all day long, well, that's pointless, obviously. But also, if you put on so much weight, you know, you put so much weight on the bar that you can't move it anymore, that's also pointless. You have to find that sweet spot where it is difficult for you to move that weight. It's challenging. You're at the edge of your ability, but you can do it. And that is, you know, this analogy is actually how I often think about the work I do, right? I often think in terms of how can I add some weight to this, right? Or, you know, am I miscalibrating the amount of weight I'm, I'm putting on the bar here? It's kind of a... a an analogy I use in my mind to think about things like content creation and other marketing and entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, so to make this analogy more real in your minds as to what it should feel like when you're doing deliberate practice, I think in Peak in Anders Ericsson's book, uh, he, he mentions about musicians and how they practice. And he mentions what they feel like at the end of their practice. And, and basically, they feel drained. And they can't do more than three to four hours of practice a day. Now, bear in mind, these are musicians that have been practicing their instruments for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. So they're very practiced at deliberate practice. And I think the key point here is that if you come out of your deliberate practice session and you look back on it and it was like, okay, that was easy. And you don't feel at least a little bit drained. Well, while you're in this practice session, you're... You're not focusing your attention. Your mind is kind of wandering onto different things. You're not really focused on the, the skill that you're trying to build. Then probably you're not practicing hard enough. You should really come out of your session feeling at least a little bit drained. And it's not enjoyable, by the way. A lot of these musicians, a lot of these athletes that were researched for this book, they mentioned that they actually don't really like doing this deliberate practice. It's, it's a chore for them. And the reason it's a chore is because they really have to push themselves pretty hard. So I go back to that, that piano analogy that I gave earlier. If you're playing a piano, you're playing the same tune over and over again. Realize that that's not really very effective for improving your piano playing. But if you're, on the other hand, playing a song where maybe you start this song and then five seconds in, you realize you make a bit of mistakes. So you have to go back and think about what the mistake was and then try and play that song again. And then maybe over the course of a one hour or two hour session, you get further and further through this song and start playing this, the song better, basically, then that's more like deliberate practice. And that's, that's going to give you more value in terms of skill acquisition. Okay, so now that we've laid out how deliberate practice works, let's bring this more into entrepreneurial skills. Because the thing is, this theory of deliberate practice is extremely useful and it is especially useful for all the disciplines we talked about. It is especially useful for this kind of, you know, focused mastery of a single skill, like playing an instrument or being an athlete, where, again, just usually very focused, very narrow set of things that they need to optimize their bodies and their performance for. Now, with entrepreneurial skills, it becomes a little bit more challenging because, first of all, well, an entrepreneur... The entrepreneurial skill set is vast and complicated and also fast moving, especially in the world of online business. Things are changing all the time. So we cannot simply say, okay, 
you know, the goal is to become a better entrepreneur. Here are the five sub skills of this. It is way more complicated than that. And especially if you're doing the kind of thing where you're, you know, bootstrapping a business or you're, you're a solopreneur or maybe, you know, a two or three person business where everyone in the business has to wear many different hats. And you simply cannot narrow this down to just a handful of skills. This is an important thing to keep in mind together with what we just talked about, which is that doing deliberate practice is difficult and you cannot be doing this all day long, right? There's just no way. So there's no way that you will spend most of your time doing deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is something you can insert for maybe one to two hours a day and you have to insert it somewhere in your day where it fits, where you have enough energy to do this, where it helps you improve your skills, but where you can still come out of it and maybe you've done some other stuff before, maybe you're taking a break after and then you're doing some other stuff after because you don't have the luxury of basically saying, well, my job is to play the violin, so all I really have, I can expend all my energy on getting better at playing the violin. It is unfortunately a lot more complicated than that for entrepreneurs. So let's talk about, you know, how, how do we make this work? I mean, how, how do you think an entrepreneur, especially kind of the, the bootstrapping solopreneur type can use deliberate practice to, to step up their game? Up until this point, we've mainly been speaking about how to use deliberate practice to become like an expert or a world-class performer in your field, whatever skill that you're producing. Those are the examples that we've been talking about. But I think in terms of entrepreneurship, it's more valuable to think of this in terms of Let's say you're a solopreneur and you've got, I don't know, 15 or 20 different tasks that you need to do. And some of those you've never really done before and you have to learn them and you don't have the resources to outsource this to somebody else. So the only option you have is that you have to figure this skill out and get good at it in the fastest possible time. And that's basically what deliberate practice can be used for as well. So if you're completely new to something, there's actually a book out there. I think it's called The First 20 Hours, right? By yeah. Joshua Kaufman. Yeah. yeah, so this book is all about rapid skill acquisition but in the first phases of learning a new skill and I think that's really important if if you have something that you need to learn as an entrepreneur which let's face it that's often the case let's say you don't know how to build a website or you don't know how to put an article together or do a video then that could be a new skill that you need to learn firstly it's important that you understand that you don't have to spend hundreds of hours practicing this thing to get to a point where it's good enough for you to use it and the figure that in this book, the first 20 hours is 20 hours. And in this particular book, Josh does a number of things. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but one of them is he learns to, to type using a Dvorak keyboard as opposed to QWERTY. So he completely retrains his brain. If you're not aware already, QWERTY is um, a layout of keys that probably the standard layout of, of most keyboards. Uh, the way the keys are arranged, they're not great for your wrist. It puts excessive strain on your wrist, so he decided to change to another keyboard layout. And it took him 20 hours to basically make the switch between the two keyboard layouts. And he's, he's applied this 20-hour rule in many other disciplines as well. So I think, firstly, it's important to realize that any skill that you need to, to learn, let's say you have something you need to pick up quickly, you can do so in a relatively short period of time just by consciously applying what we've been speaking about with deliberate practice. You break it down, you focus on it, you challenge yourself to the edge of your ability and you get quick feedback. One of the things that I think is very important, or at least has been in my 
history as an entrepreneur very important is is that you run up the steep part of the learning curve of many things right and so to to kind of visualize this and we'll put a visual representation of this in the show notes as well but basically when it, whenever you're learning a skill the the curve of how your ability in any field develops is a curve that starts very steep and then evens off and the, basically what that means is the better you get at something, the more time and energy you have to invest to get a little better at it, right? So if you're already extremely good at, let's say, playing the violin, then you have to spend many, many hundreds of hours to get noticeably yet a bit better, right? To move from the top 2% into the top 1% takes a long, long time. But to go from absolutely no skill at all to decent i can more or less do this now that doesn't take very long uh, and that's the steep part of the curve and so there are many things like you know the typical entrepreneur we have to teach ourselves for example how to build a website and this is something where you you can get to the point where you can put together a website and you can more or less manage this website and understand what's going on in a matter of yeah maybe 20 hours maybe 100 hours something like that and you don't, but it doesn't, you know, you're not, you don't have the knowledge of a server tech. You can't code HTML or CSS. You, you don't have all this, all this intricate knowledge of how all this technology works, right? You're not an expert in this field, but it's good enough. And for entrepreneurs, getting from zero to good enough rapidly is an extremely important skill. Yeah, precisely. The, the second reason why I think it's, it's important to at least be aware of deliberate practice or understand the science behind getting good at stuff is that it helps you as an entrepreneur develop what's called a growth mindset. Let's say you have a skill that you want to learn, but you feel like it's beyond your ability. You feel like it's something you can't pick up. You're just not that type of person. Well, if you study the science behind this, it's very rarely the case that you're not able to, to learn something. It's, it really is a case of practicing in the right way and applying yourself for a long enough period of time. So I think the second important point here is that by learning about these practice mechanisms, you start to build up in your mind this sense that I can actually do this. Whereas if you're not aware of these skills, you might be inclined to think, ah, oh, this is just beyond my ability. Right, so, so you don't feel helpless in the face of like challenges that you've never seen before. You don't feel like, oh, it's pointless to even try. The book we're referencing here is uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is an interesting read. And the reason we're mentioning this is because actually your, your beliefs about this make a big difference, right? If you believe hard enough that you cannot learn a new thing or that whatever skill that you need to master is too difficult for you, if you believe that, then you will make it true, right? It becomes true. Um, whereas if you have the general belief that, yeah, I can, I can figure stuff out, it makes you a lot more effective at figuring stuff out. It's one of these self-reinforcing things. Yeah, and there's quite a lot of literature about this. I'd recommend reading Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, Mindset by Carol Dweck, as you just mentioned, and Peak, Anders Ericsson. All of these books, if you read these within a month of each other, then you'll start to develop subtly this growth mindset. You'll start to develop this belief, okay, I can actually do this. It really is just a case of practicing and focusing my attention. So the third thing where I think deliberate practice can help us as entrepreneurs is let's say we're not a solopreneur anymore. Let's say we have a small team. When you apply and teach your team about concepts like this, they feel like they can grow their skills. They feel like they're in an organization that 
values growth and values skill development. And the reason this is important, I think, is because it increases engagement. Now, as a guy, Kevin Cruz, I think he's he's one of the thought leaders on engagement. And I think he became this because his company was one of the best companies to work for for a couple of years running in a certain state or something in America. I can't remember the specifics. But anyway, he talks about what he does in his businesses to keep his people engaged. And one big part of this is growth. If you know about deliberate practice and you can teach your team that they can develop their skills using this set of techniques or using this practice mechanism, and you can try and instill a growth mindset in them, they're going to feel engaged, especially if you can give them skills to practice, for instance, writing practice or video practice or whatever. This might be a nice little supplement to their daily routine whereby they really feel they're making progress. And that's such a key part of keeping an organization engaged. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, at least, that's also one of the most satisfying things about being an entrepreneur is that I get to learn all these new things and, and this sense of making progress, the sense of, of doing things better than, than I used to is just immensely satisfying. Now, let's go into some examples for an entrepreneur. What are example skills that we can apply this to? What are example skills that make sense for an entrepreneur to develop as quickly as possible and and how we would do that? The one skill we already talked about is writing. I would even go bigger picture here, a communication skill. I think for any entrepreneur, a communication skill is incredibly important because you have to be able to communicate internally. You have to be able to communicate if you have a team, you have to be able to communicate to people what your business is about, what they're supposed to do, what the end goal is and so on. And the better you are at clearly communicating that, the better you can run your business. And also externally, if you think about all of the stuff that happens, all of the marketing stuff through all different channels, you know, whether you're creating a sales page or recording a podcast episode or making video content or posting on social media, these are all communication channels and there are underlying communication skills that the better you are at communicating in general, the better you can do all of this marketing stuff across all these modalities and across all these channels. So communication skill is definitely one of the things that I think every entrepreneur should spend at least, you know, those 20 to 100 hours on doing. We've talked about this on the podcast before on how to do this. First of all, listen to the Bento Box Thinking episode. That is, for me, the foundational framework of clear communication. And then another thing we've talked about is, you know, recording videos, recording videos of yourself and improving those videos over time. And that's even, you know, whether you publish those videos or not, but just getting that practice of getting in front of a camera and, for example, giving an elevator pitch of what your business is about and then watching yourself give that elevator pitch, thinking about how can I improve this, doing it again and so on and refining that pitch or just explaining things on video things that are related to your niche, things that are related to your business. I mean, those are two of the things that I think are one of the most useful skills for an entrepreneur to develop is, like I said, communication skill. And these two methods of practice, I would say any entrepreneur can benefit from doing this. Yeah, I completely agree, especially the recording yourself on video is incredibly illuminating to see yourself babbling on and on and on about this intricacy that while you were in the moment talking about this thing, you thought you were the most interesting person ever. But then you watch it back and you're like, oh my goodness, 
what is this guy babbling on about? You know, and this only happens so many times before you catch yourself doing it and, and you resolve it and you can kind of self-correct like that. And I think that the second thing I would say about communication is that as a small business, you can somewhat get away with it. If you're a solopreneur or if you're two or three, just two or three people all huddled together in a room building a startup, you know, if there's any kind of miscommunications, they'll be quickly resolved quickly corrected but let's say you've got a team of 60 people or 70 people and you're trying to communicate an idea trying to communicate a vision a strategy a direction but you can't communicate that effectively that can be catastrophic so i think communication is a cornerstone skill that only becomes more important as your business becomes more mature as sub skills of this i would say that it makes sense to spend again a period of practice a period of deliberate practice of you know maybe a hundred or a few hundred hours on one specific type of communication all right so i think it makes sense to achieve some level of mastery in content writing i think writing is incredibly useful because if you're a good writer you can write all the content on your website you can create good content you know whether it's content for your email subscribers that you send out in your emails um, whether it's content that you turn into products like ebooks or books or something like that, or courses. Um, and you can also do a lot of marketing stuff that involves writing, such as writing guest posts. And so I think a good writing skill is something that is also worth uh, practicing. I think for writing, if we want to practice writing deliberately, the, the one thing to pay attention to there is to get feedback. Because the most effective way to do this, to turn, you know, just writing practice into deliberate practice of writing is to make sure that you have someone who can go through your work and give you feedback. My favorite type of feedback is the one thing to pay attention to the next time, right? So someone reads what you wrote and says, okay, there's, you know, maybe gives you a bunch of feedback. Okay, this is what I do differently, this, this, this. But for the next article you write, here's the one thing to pay attention to, you know, use more examples and metaphors. That's your task for the next article, right? Because you're not going to, you're not going to improve everything from one article to the next, but it's good to have someone who gives you a mission of this is the one thing to pay attention to. And the exact same approach goes for making video content or making audio content, which I think are very similar actually in many ways. Um, so there again, you would spend some time recording and getting feedback ideally from someone else, but also for yourself. That's one of the great things about recording. Like if you record a video and then you watch it two or three days later, it's almost like you're a stranger watching yourself and you can actually see, okay, here, here are some problems. Here are the main issues. Here's the one thing I want to improve in the next video. You've actually implemented this with the marketing team, right? How did you set that up specifically when you were doing the writing deliberate practice? Yeah, so what we did with the marketing team for a while is that basically every day they would have, I think it was half an hour or maybe 20 minutes or something to, we'd give them assignment to write an article. And of course it would be a short article, right? Because they only had a half an hour. And so every morning they get an assignment, this is what you need to write about. They'd write their short article and sometime in the afternoon, they would get the feedback on it for the next day so they will get a, a list of notes and and like i just said they, they will get one thing where it's like okay in tomorrow's article this is the one thing i'd like you to try and improve and so that was daily daily repetition for how long did they do that for 
uh, I think like six weeks, something like that. And did you notice the improvements at the end of that? I mean, huge. It's day and night. <laughs> it's day and night. Yeah. So yeah, that's an example of how the practice regime was set up such that the output didn't actually have any business utility mm-hmm. other than just to get people good at writing. Mm, that's a good point about business utility. So when I started writing, I just had like two blogs that I wrote stuff on. And for me, all of this was just practice. Practice in building and running websites, practice writing and communicating and so on. But it also turns into some, you know, it, it does turn into some utility because I did build a little audience for these websites. And uh, at least on one of them, you know, I did some affiliate marketing and I did make a bit of money from this, um, which I do think you can often design your practice in such a way that that you can get utility out of it. And I think the important thing there is to not be overly perfectionistic and be okay with publishing something. Yeah, of course, your video isn't perfect, right? But publish it anyway. I mean, I've, you know, I've published many, many a bad video. I think that's a great point about perfectionism because... Really, if you think about it, that is the enemy of rapid skill acquisition. I mean, let's let's take the example of writing. Let's say you're only you're only going to publish your best stuff. What does that look like in reality? Well, probably you're going to spend hours and hours and hours just looking at the intricacies, changing your sentence structures, changing the way you phrase things just to get one article published. And then maybe let's say that takes two weeks, right? After that point, you get some feedback and then you start again and it's another two weeks. So in the space of a month, because you're so perfectionistic, because you're so attached to the output, you only really get two pieces of feedback, two chances to improve. As opposed to somebody who's less attached to the result, less attached to producing a perfect piece of work and more focused on the practice. Let's say this person does a piece of writing every single day and gets feedback every single day. In that first month, that person will get 30 pieces of feedback as opposed to two, 30 chances to improve their skill. You can imagine that that person has probably improved far quicker than the other perfectionistic person. Yeah, this is a link to my video about the 80% rule, which you should watch uh, because I think it's one of my most important videos. But also, if you you look at the 80% rule where I talk about exactly what Paul just described here, where it's basically about not doing your best, right? It's, it's about not delivering the 100% as good as I can make it piece of work. Instead, you do 80% of your best and you improve every time. And at first, this might seem like it's at odds with the idea of, um, of deliberate practice because you're supposed to be at the edge of your skill. But I think this is very important because that, that's to me, that's the difference between 80 and 100%, right? If I, if I do a 60% article, then it's too easy and I don't learn anything. If I do 100%, then I'm too perfectionistic. I'm leaning too far the other side. I'm spending too much time not actually improving. And 80% for me is like that sweet spot where I'm still doing, this is still um, a decent effort, right? This is not easy, Um, but it's efficient enough that I can publish something, get feedback, publish the next thing, and so on. All right, let's go through some more examples of entrepreneurial skills. Another one that comes to mind for me is to basically look at a specific marketing or traffic channel and focus on that. Now this depends, basically depends on your business a lot, depends on your budget. But there I also think that you can get a lot more out of basically picking a channel 
that will work well for your business and spending this time deliberately practicing, pushing out a lot of content, getting feedback on that one channel. So whether that is, you know, I don't know, maybe you're doing something social media, right? Maybe you have like a, a product that's really well suited for social media advertising or for building even organic social media traffic and stuff like that. So you would you would spend time doing that. You would spend time learning what do people respond to? What do people share, right? What kind of what kind of stuff actually works and brings people back to my website or leads to conversions? Or whether it's, you know, maybe it's something like AdWords or another form of PPC advertising, or maybe it's search engine optimization or whatever it is. But I think the important point here is that you pick one and you spend this period of time doing deliberate practice on it, running up the steep part of the curve instead of trying to do a bit of everything. This is something I've seen. This is, I think, has been the death of many a small business is that you know, the, the people running it can't decide what to focus on. So it's like, oh, I'm doing a bit of social media. I'm paying a bit of money here for AdWords, but it's not really doing anything. And then I'm also doing this podcast and then I'm also doing a bit of outreach, but nobody's responding and I'm doing a bit of SEO, but I'm not getting any traffic there either. And you're spending all this time on, on 15 different things. You're not getting any result. So that's another thing where if you think about it in terms of building this skill and deliberate practice, you know that you cannot spread your focus like that and you have to pick something get good at it even if it's just for a period of a month two months or something like that get good at it get some results and then reassess your situation i think that's a great point about focusing if you've ever read a book called the dip by seth godin he talks about being the best in the world not the literal world not the the world where there's seven billion people in but in your world what you're doing maybe you're a vegan italian restaurant in bali or something like that says if you can be the best in the world you get a disproportionate result compared to let's see being the third best or the fourth best or the tenth best and you can see this all around you i mean in google if you get the first spot in google you get 22 times the clicks of being 10th what you just mentioned here about focusing on certain marketing channels or focusing on one channel means that you'll get into that upper five percent or one percent of your competition and it's so effective because you'll get far greater rewards. You'll benefit from this law of disproportionate results. A good book to read on this topic is 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall, which talks a lot about this, right? It's much better to, to be at the top of one specific field than to be in the middle of 15 fields. So yeah, that, that's an interesting book that, that goes into a lot of detail on that basically thinks that through, right? If you follow this strategy of, of I want to conquer like one field at a time, and how do I leverage that into like total market domination? It's pretty interesting, pretty interesting read. So that's 80-20 sales and marketing by Perry, Perry Marshall, is that right? Mm -hmm. All right, more entrepreneurial skills to focus on. I think another one, I mean, for me, actually, one is also, and this is related to communication and so on again, but for me, one of the things that I focused on a long time ago and that I'm basically still focused on now is just getting better at creating good products. So basically, being on the product side, right? Where I spent a lot of time learning skills related to how do I make better products? So originally for courses and such, that was how do I improve my presentation skills? How do I structure a course in such a way that people get the most out of it? Um, and also how do I make a good experience, a good user experience for people, you know, when they, when they do become a member of my course, how do I make that as seamless and useful as possible for them? Because I was always frustrated with when I when I would buy an online course, for example, and then I just get like a 
know, a bunch of PDFs to download or something. And now you read through these PDFs or something. I wanted to have, I wanted to make it as easy as possible for uh, my customers to to consume this content and and to really benefit from it. So I spent a lot of time um, working on that and focusing on that. Where again, this is by the way, this is another thing where it's very difficult to get feedback on something like this. Right? This is one of those areas where you can't just ask your local specialist in online courses to give you feedback. This is quite difficult. But still, to try and you can still try and apply this focus and try and apply as much of this deliberate practice principle as possible because again you you know you can you can create uh, you can create a piece of whatever your product's going to be and then and you have to go out and get feedback right you have to ask people for feedback you have to maybe do some user tests to get insights but that's again something you can do quite rapidly um, and and the same, even, you know, with courses, I mean, I created many courses, right? I created many courses, some of them for free, mostly just to practice this and to get feedback. So even if the feedback loop isn't, you can't always have a feedback loop where it's like on a daily basis, right? But you can, you can create a course, like a mini course within one or two weeks, publish it, get feedback from the people who take it, publish the next one and so on. That's still much better than what most people do, where it takes them forever to make just that one course, right? And then on the product side, again, you know, what it later became when we started making software, it became a lot about learning about user experience and user interfaces and understanding how people interact with software and uh, getting better at understanding the needs of customers and how to solve problems using technology and software, which is a whole other, you know, it's a massive rabbit hole of intricate sub skills in there as well. But again, you can, you can read about it, you can learn about it, you can design, you can do mock-ups of user interfaces and stuff like that, get feedback on those, you can use, do user testing. There's all these tools available for you to do this, to practice this and to get the feedback. And then the final one that comes to mind is then basically on the management side, you know, how do you manage people? How do you build a company that works well? How do you get all these people together and coordinate them somehow? in a way where everybody knows what they were supposed to be doing, everybody does their best work, and everybody feels happy about what they're doing. And that's basically where we are right now. That is the, the skill from a, you know, as a manager, basically, I'm trying to build these, these management and leadership skills right now, where, once again, I think this is, this is one where it's very difficult because you can't, it's, not, it's much more complicated to practice something like this than to practice a, you know, specific skill like typing or writing. Um, it's much more of a, like a, an intangible and soft skill and you can't have a super tight feedback loop but you can still apply the same ideas you can still deliberately focus on it you can still find ways to to do something to make a change to to change the way you do your management and get feedback on it and one of the ways we do this is that we break our team up um, and you know we, we basically run like management experiments on smaller groups to see how it works if it works out we roll it out to larger groups, but we've done that quite a lot over the last years that we'll, you know, try a new thing, often read a book, try a new thing on a small team and see how our management and organization style evolves over time. Yeah, those are some great examples of how you've taken the concept of deliberate practice, but it doesn't really quite fit. So you've kind of bent the rules slightly to try and do as close as possible to deliberate practice. But I think the, the overriding theme here is that when Shane's describing how he builds his skills on product development and leadership and management is the way you're consciously 
looking at this. You're strategically figuring out a better way. And probably in the short term, that's going to be maybe a sacrifice in, in results. Maybe sometimes it means that your immediate effect is slightly worse than if you just screamed at people and got them to do stuff. But the, the longer term result is that as, as your skill evolves, the company will, will get better, that you, your product development will, will improve. And I think that's an overriding theme that in the short term, if you're, if you're, you're trying to grow your skill, you're trying to practice in the short term, you should be prepared that maybe the results will will not come quite as fast, but in the longer term, they'll be way in excess of what would otherwise be possible. Yeah, which is also basically the perfect parallel to the the eighty percent rule, right? Where, so my example in the eighty percent rule was again basically an exercise example where, for sure, you can you know if you if you have two people going to the gym and one of them lifts as heavy as possible, you know eyeball poppingly heavy weights, right? And the other person does. 80%, which is an easier workout, then in that first workout, the, the person who does 100% seems stronger, moves more weight, right? But over time, uh, because the person who does the eye-poppingly difficult workout every time needs much more recovery and makes much less progress and can do fewer sets and fewer repetitions and so on, over time, the person who does the easier workout, quote-unquote, will actually become stronger, right? And will actually be capable of moving much, much more weight. And this is, this is how I think of many of these things, like you just said, right? There's no point in trying to do this, this maximum effort, straining, um, everything bursting at the seams, trying to do the very best you can do right now for that extreme short-term gain, because that extreme short-term gain pales in comparison to what a more deliberate approach gets you, even within you know, the span of a few weeks or a few months. You have built up this team, you've built up a support team following a very like deliberate approach. And I think that was an example where you did a lot of foundational work where you didn't just sit people down and have them answer support tickets right away. Mm -hmm. But pretty quickly, I think you got to a point where, where that payoff, I mean, it didn't take years, right, to get to that point. So yeah, I think this actually can pay off quite quickly to kind of take a step back and be more deliberate and be slightly, slightly slower in your approach. It's basically slower, but steadier gets you there, gets you further quite quickly. You know, I guess that's the tortoise and the hare principle, mm. although that story is a bit dumb. So <laughs> let's, let's not, let's not expand on that analogy. That story is just a bit weird. So up until now, we've spoken a lot about kind of like the business case of deliberate practice, but now kind of the parting thought that I'd like to leave you with is thinking in terms of skills, thinking of every problem that you have in your business, every challenge that you have in terms of just simply a skill that you can learn is a really good way of thinking for you as an entrepreneur in, in two ways. The first way is that you're going to experience success more often. So every time you grow your skill set, every time you improve uh, whatever it is you're working on, you get that positive feedback loop. It's internally satisfying for you as opposed to simply being attached to external results and getting external validation from let's say people commenting on your post and telling you how good it is you can experience that internal growth but secondly i think it gives you a sense of control so when you see your business as simply a series of problems and challenges that you can conquer by developing the necessary skills and you thoroughly believe that you have the ability to do that and it's simply a question of choosing which battles to take on you have control in that situation and you're not just a victim 
subject to all this external pressure that you can't handle. It's, it's a change in mindset such that you feel in control. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's, that's really helpful. And that wraps up the episode. Not the first time and certainly not the last time that we are talking about skill building. But before next time we take on this topic, as always, I want to encourage you to take action on this. Even though I know this is a podcast and most people kind of passively consume podcasts, right? It's probably doing something else while listening to it. And, and that's fine. I think passive consumption is fine. But the problem is that you're quite likely to just kind of forget about this and move on. But I really want to encourage you to take action on what you hear us talk about here because we make sure to gear our content towards you know an action orientation if you will we, we make this action oriented we do our best to keep this fluff free and action oriented for you and this all comes from things that we have personally experienced that we have personally built and done and practiced and so on and that's why i know that if you take action on this it will be something that helps you now if you struggle taking action on it make sure you catch the previous episode where we talked about this problem right because sometimes you hear some really good advice but then you kind of can't get yourself to implement it even though you want to and even though even though you could theoretically so if that sounds like you and you haven't listened to the last episode yet go to activegrowth.com forward slash 31 or you know tap on episode 31 in whatever podcasting app you're using that is where we talk about exactly that and what to do about it now one last thing there is another great review that came in that i want to read so we're still getting reviews on a regular basis on itunes and and those are the ones that i see here if you've reviewed us elsewhere i might have not seen that but anyway there's a great review that i wanted to read out here by username not a drunk yet that's a pretty good username right there the title is deep thorough and pertinent info for the online entrepreneur and the comment reads I'm a real newbie at this stuff, have been at it for around seven months now. I have consumed and applied a ton of information on marketing, productivity, copywriting, and so on and so on. In terms of value, realistic, excellent, usable content delivered in a concise, no hype, but easy to listen way, I think Shane and Hannah are absolutely top of the heap. So thank you very much, not a drunk yet, for this review. We appreciate that very much. And if you enjoy this podcast, we really appreciate if you could review us as well. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, then, you know, leave us a rating and review there. We really appreciate that. Or, you know, whatever podcasting app you have, if there's some option to leave a comment or a review or something, that really helps us out. And we super, super appreciate that. But also, apart from reviews, this is not just about getting, you know, better ratings or whatever. We love to hear from you. So, go over to activegrowth.com forward slash 32 to get to the show notes and there you can leave us a message. So you can tap on a button there on that page at the bottom of the page. You can tap on a button there to leave us a voice message if you have any questions or any feedback. We'd love to hear from you or you can also just type a comment there. If you have any questions, again, like we, we love to answer your questions. We love to get your perspective on the stuff that we talk about on the podcast. And it really helps us make more relevant episodes in the future. We shape our content by the kind of feedback and kind of questions we get. So please do that. Go over to activegrowth.com forward slash 32 to get a discussion started with us and to just let us know what you think what's been helpful, what hasn't been helpful, what you'd like more of, and so on. So with that, thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.